The reading today is from 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of the God lives forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lane. Please keep open those verses in front of you. We, uh, as we draw to the end of our summer Sundays, we come to the fifth and final uh, in our series in 1 John. And I'll do my best to preach those verses uh, in context for us this morning. Let's pray before we look at them together. God of truth and love, we pray that we would be people of truth and love, that we wouldn't be people of truth only and no love, or people of love only and no truth, but people after your own heart, people of love and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Narrow, restrictive, over-literal, intolerant, critically-minded, loveless, lacking compassion. These are the world's criticisms of ordinary, Bible-loving believers. I wonder if anybody's ever, uh, or or you've heard that criticism against uh, you or or Bible believers at any point. You put God in a box. You should let people follow their own light and their own path. It doesn't matter who you love or how you love somebody, just as long as you love them. And I guess for those of us who have heard those criticisms, uh, we, we might feel very sensitive uh, to them because as we look at ourselves as Christians, we know, don't we, that we are not anywhere near as loving as we should be. And we're very aware that sometimes we have a, a critical and judgmental spirit when we, sh- when we shouldn't have. And so we wonder, don't we, do they have a point? And if you are that person and you find yourself in that situation, let me say to you, to you that you are in shoes that are very similar to the shoes of John's readers as they received this first letter. Because in his church, as we've been seeing over these summer Sundays, there have been a group of people who have stood up and walked out of the church. And what's made it particularly painful is that these people are well known, they're familiar faces. And as they've left, they've made all of these confident claims to being spiritual, to having a superior spirituality. And they're saying, come with us, come with us and join us. And uh, as those who uh, are left behind, they look and see all of the empty chairs and they are shaken deeply. And so what John is doing in this letter is he's writing to reassure the Remainers, and this has got nothing to do with Brexit, by the way. He's reassuring the Remainers, and he's wanting to reveal the Leavers 
for what they are, worldly, not of the Father, destined to pass away. Now let me just give you a little bit of context of where we find ourselves at the moment. Um, in the passage immediately before, John is reassuring his readers. I don't know how many of you might write poetry, uh, whether you've written poetry to your husband or your wife or your, or your children maybe. Poetry is kind of the language of, so often the language of love. And, and what John does in the verses just before is he, he breaks into poetry. It's the only time in the whole of John's writings that he breaks into poetry. And what he's doing is he's wanting to tell the believers that he's writing to that he loves them, that they are, they are the real thing, that they're Christians. And so he says to them, Look, dear children, they're his spiritual children, your sins have been forgiven. Fathers, you know him. Young men, you've overcome the evil one. And just like in poetry where you repeat yourself for emphasis, John does the same thing. Dear children, you know the father. Fathers, you know him. Young men, you're strong. The word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. So that's the passage immediately before. In the passage immediately after our verses, John launches a full frontal assault on those who have left, on those who are saying, I love God. I love Jesus. I'm very spiritual. John says, now the reason why they've gone out into the world is because they are of the world. So that's what comes afterwards. And here in between, we get these verses, 15 to 17. And what John is doing is he's beginning to lay some groundwork so that we might recognize these false teachers. And it's um, really important groundwork he's, he's laying. So he gives the first imperative in the letter. There are ten imperatives, ten commands in the letter. And here's the first one, and perhaps the most important. Do not love the world or anything in the world. Now, what does he mean? Why does he say this? Why does he say it here? Because this is something of... a a novelty in the New Testament, if you like. Uh, Nowhere else are we told in the New Testament not to love something or someone. So what does he mean? Do not love the world. What does he mean by that? Well, he doesn't mean do not love the world of nature. He's He's not saying that we shouldn't love beaches and mountains and dolphins and spaniels. He he's not saying do not love the world of nature. And he's not saying, do not love the world of men and women. Of course, the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world. So it's not saying that either. What he is saying is, do not love the world which is at enmity with God, the God who is light. He's saying that if you... Love the world, then you cannot love the Father. And if you love the the Father, you cannot love the world. The two are diametrically opposed and opposite to one another. They are incompatible. You can't love the world as well as be a Christian. They are inimical to one another. But why is he saying this? 
Well, because the Remainers are those who love the Father. He's already told them that in the verses before. And as he's going on to explain in the verses that follow, those who love the world are believers. And it's not that just that they've left the congregation. There are good reasons to leave uh, at one church and go to another. The point is that they've left the, the, the teaching of the apostles about Jesus Christ. That's the point. They've left that behind. And John wants them to recognize these leavers for who they are so that they might reject them. Uh, this morning, my son came down and he said he had a, a nightmare l- last night. And... Um, uh, in his nightmare, he said that there was, a, there was a dark room and there was a monster in the room. And uh, in the room were, were lots of people from, from the church. So Shaq, Lisa, other people were there. And the monster was trying to, to grab him and pull him in. And so to defend himself, he shone a light in the monster's face. But what the monster did was the monster protected its, itself and deflected the light away. Now, I'm not in any sense claiming that, that my son is the next Joseph or Daniel, okay? Don't get me wrong. But it did strike me that this is a, a rather apt picture of what's going on in 1 John. You have got the world that is wanting uh, the true believers to come out uh, to it. That is, is the monster. And what John is doing is he's picking up his torch And he is shining the light at the monster, which is trying to deflect the light away. So John gives two compelling reasons here not to love the world. The first in verse 16, because the love of the world is not from the Father, just like the leavers. And because, like the leavers, verse 17 The world will not last forever. Those are the two reasons. We're going to just look at them together. So firstly, do not love the world because love for the world is not from the Father. Now, in our world, it is sinful to say that some desires are sinful. Not allowed to do that. But John does. And he picks on three things. Uh, the devil's trinity, you could call them. He says everything in the world, and then he lists the three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And if I were to crunch them down for us, I would um, summarize them as money, sex, and power. Money is good, sex is good, Power is good. The problem is, is when you you lust after money, you lust after sex, you lust after power. That is what what is of the world. And uh, many, many churches and many, many Christians have had their downfall as a result of lusting after uh, these things. And if I list a few names, some of you will recognize them. Hybels, Zacharias, Timis. Fletcher. And a, a number of these, uh, all of these people have led uh, churches and have been uh, leading Christians astray in various ways because it's been revealed that if you dig a little 
way into their lives, you will find financial impropriety, illicit sex, and abuse of power to one degree or another in, in all of them. And the point is that in, their, in these ministries, what has happened is charisma has been lifted above character. That's what's happened. So these big chiefs have come, come along, leading Bible churches, and uh, they have claimed to outgun, outgift, and outrank everybody else around them. And that has caused untold damage on many Christians, but also, more importantly, on the name of Jesus himself. And what John is doing here is he's coming along and, and saying that these um, worldly lusts and desires are not from the, from the Father, they're from the flesh. And you need to recognize them and you need to resist them so that you don't join them. Resist the monster. I remember uh, during my curacy, uh, in, which I spent in Crowborough, I was invited in to, to lead an RE lesson uh, with a, uh, another member of clergy from a different church. And uh, secondary school and... Uh, uh, there was a time for question and answer at the end, and the, and the question uh, came, well, what do you think about um, homosexual practice? Is, 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 that, a, is that okay as, as Christians? What do you think? And uh, the, the other person who uh, was with me said, well, yeah, we, we welcome um, LGBT. And, and what they meant by that isn't just that they, they welcomed people um, who have that persuasion, but that actually they affirmed that lifestyle. Now, of course, everybody welcomes uh, LGBT people. We welcome LGBT people here, if I can say it. Of course we do. But there's a great difference between welcoming and affirming a particular lifestyle. Now, how did I handle that? Not as well as I should, not as gently as I I could. But there was was one thing I did get right, and and that is that I quoted part of, of the Bible to them. I, wa- I wanted these young people not to be deceived by this message. I wanted them to understand what the Bible actually says. And it says this, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul goes on and says, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so it seems that in the church in Corinth, uh, they were welcoming people from all kinds of backgrounds. And when they believed in Jesus Christ, they were being converted whether they were sexually immoral people, whether they were homosexual people, whether they were adulterers, whether they were greedy, whether they were slanderers. Now, I know this is so difficult for us in our culture today. It's particularly difficult in the schools. For you people still at school, you're being fed this day after day. You're being told that you must celebrate this kind of culture. You turn on the Euros, uh, you turn on the Olympics, and what do you see everywhere? The rainbow flag, and you're supposed to bow down and support it and and celebrate it. Of course, it's so difficult. And I know it's difficult because we we know people, perhaps even people here, would struggle with that. 
or we have people in our friends and family who struggle with that and we want to love them and we want to help them and we don't want to condemn them but we do want to point them to our Lord Jesus Christ and what the Bible says because the Bible says that that the homosexual lifestyle is not from the Father. In fact, John's going to go on in in chapter 4 to make things explicit and say that these teachers who are advocating a lawless lifestyle are actually from and of the world. And he wanting to say, do not be led astray by them. Do not love the world, says John, for because everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So John shines his light in, and that's his first reason why we're not to love the world. And he continues to shine his light and gives us a second reason not to love the world. And it's this, because the world is not forever. Verse 17, the world is not from the Father, it will not abide with the Father. Verse 17, the world and its desires will pass away. We've seen before, back in chapter 1, verse 8, that we were told that the darkness is passing because the true light of Jesus is already shining. This world and the people of this world in rebellion against God are passing away. Not into oblivion, but into judgment. But now is the time of great opportunity. It's the time for salvation. You see, uh, many of us know John 3.16. We know John 3.36 less well. It says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. This world is under wrath, God's wrath. But the God of love has poured out his wrath on his Son. And he's done it so that his wrath could be turned away from whoever believes in his Son. That atonement for their sins can be made, as we were hearing earlier on. And this is available for anyone who will come and believe in God's Son, Jesus. The God of love is also the God who will one day come in judgment. And all this should be a great encouragement for those who are walking on the narrow path. Because we know that it is the loving path to warn people of this. And John wants to reassure and encourage his readers that whoever does the will of God will live forever. Now in the context of 1 John, what that means is this. It means believing in the Son and it means obeying the command to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And the promise is, if you do that, you will live forever. 
Now, you, you know what uh, FOMO means, don't you? You know, FOMO, fear of uh, missing out. Somebody was telling me that their, their wife has got FOMO. They always fear missing out on parties and on, on social occasions. And I think as Christians, we, we often have FOMO. We, we fear that we're missing out from what's out there in the world. We're missing out on friendships. Uh, we de- so desperately don't want our Christianity to offend the world. We fear that we're, perhaps we're missing out on, on freedoms that other ha- others have. Well, any pleasures they off, the world offers, and they are real pleasures, are hollow pleasures and are temporary pleasures. For they are part of this passing world, says John. See, people may say, join us in our way of doing Christianity. We'll, we'll do you good. We love you. But John says, actually, what they'll do is they'll damage you. People may say, join us. We're the enlightened ones. We have the secret to a positive Christianity. Uh, we have a Christianity that the world will find palatable. But John says, no, that's part of the passing darkness and not from the Father. And people will say, join us and experience real life of love and joy and freedom. And John says, what they offer you is actually transitory and ultimately doomed. They don't offer you life, but they offer you death. John says, you're not missing out on anything. And if you remain with Christ and the Apostle's word about Christ, then you will live forever. John says, do not love the world for two reasons. First, because it's not from the Father. Second, because it's not forever. Now, let me finish with this. I've been uh, listening to uh, a podcast called The The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And it's uh, about uh, Mars Hill Church, which was led by somebody called uh, Mark Driscoll. And uh, some of you would never have heard of Mark Driscoll or the 12,000 people who attended his church each week. Some of you will have his books on your bookshelf, as I do, and would have downloaded his podcast sermons uh, with the court of a million other people who used to do that weekly and uh, sent them to other people and and advocated for them. And uh, Mark Driscoll, who was really at the centre of the founding of that church and the whole ministry, is an exceptionally gifted uh, man. He's laugh out loud funny. You'll you'll know if you've uh, listened to him. He's very quick-witted. And the church has done so many good things. It really has. It's seen lots of people come to Christ. Lots of lives completely uh, transformed. But the problem is, is that ultimately the church started to value charisma over character. And uh, sadly, this was seen in arrogance, in angry and harsh words, and a domineering spirit and culture. And the results of this have been devastating. It eventually meant that Mark Driscoll had to resign. It meant that Mars Hill had to dissolve as a church, and the 12,000 people who went there weekly left in turmoil. Now, why, why do I give this example? Well, because I think for many of us, we might recognize the, the worldly kind of Christianity that I mentioned earlier, that the, the, RE, teach, uh, the RE in the RE lesson, the kind of stuff that, that Steve Chalk is, is saying, if you know who he is. 
But I think we're perhaps less able to have our antennae up to the equally worldly kind of Christianity that we as Bible-believing evangelicals so often celebrate, where we value charisma over character and laughter over love and worldliness over doing the will of the Father. John says, do not love the world in all of its forms. If you do, you'll ultimately become like the world. And the world is not from the Father and is passing away. But if you don't love the world, here's the wonderful promise. If you don't love the world, then you will do the will of the Father. You will believe in his Son and you will love other Christians. And that will show that you are a Christian and it will show that you will live forever. What an encouragement. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, I very much feel um, as I'm preaching these things that these are, some of these things are very sensitive and difficult to, to discuss in, in public. But we must do it because your word warns us against these things. Please help us to take these things to heart. Pray you would help us as we mull over what we've been hearing this morning and as we talk about it together over coffee later and beyond. And we pray, as we prayed at the beginning, that we would be people who are marked by love, yes, and also truth for Jesus' glory, we pray. Amen.